It's your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. Got a lot to get to on today's show. Andrew Kramer will join me here in just a little bit for a Vikings film breakdown, looking at how they have been so successful lately in the red zone, including 5-for-5 against Arizona in scoring touchdowns in Sunday's game, a big key in that 34-26 to victory. NFL trade deadline is today. Andrew and I got into that a little bit, but I also want to get into that a little bit more, um, especially in the context of do the Vikings need to upgrade at a couple of particular positions, A, because of depth, and B, because they might have a couple of long or at least medium-term injuries at those spots, talking about tight end and defensive end. Speaking of injuries mounting, uh, the Wild have quite a few guys missing now that they're returning home for uh, after a successful 3-1-1 road trip. A few guys out of the lineup, potentially Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, and Jordan Greenway, of course, who's been out for most of this year. How does that look as they return home to face Montreal? Does that open up an opportunity for different players to step up? We will see. So we'll talk about that a little bit because they play tonight as well as the Wolves. And first, what did I miss? Speaking of those Wolves, i got some thoughts on them right now. I think most of us would agree that the first seven games of the season have not been entirely pretty, right? They've been um, a little up and down, a little ragged. You looked at the schedule at the start of the year. You thought, okay, they've got a chance to really take advantage of this. They've got some home games. They've got some teams that look to be rebuilding and to be where they are right now at four and three is not the end of the world by any stretch they're still playing okay and I think some of the teams that they've played have ended up being a little bit better at least in the short term talking specifically about San Antonio and Utah but if you look big picture you would like to be better than four and three and more than that you'd like to be playing better than you are right now I know patience was kind of preached at the beginning of the year you got to see how this big lineup works together how some of these new pieces off the bench fit together, things of that nature. But I think it's been just a little, I think disappointing is the right word to use, at least so far this season. I was looking specifically at NBA.com, looking at some of the lineups, the the Wolves starting lineup. They've had all their, all their starters healthy the whole year. Rudy Gobert, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and Jaden McDaniels. Those guys have been on the court together for 112 minutes this season. No other five-player lineup combination has played more than 14 minutes together so far this season. So that is the that is the group that's getting the, the lion's share of the run. They've been on the court for, you know, close to not quite 20 minutes a game, but more than 15 minutes a game uh, as as a unit, and it hasn't been going all that great. You, you think about those guys as being five good players. Their net rating is minus right now, minus 0.8. Again, not terrible. Still working out some of the kinks, but the defensive rebounding percentage just 674 dragging their whole team defensive uh, rebounding percentage down. You know, just in general, just not having the kind of success with that lineup that you would have hoped they would have had. And again, it's going to take time overall for the season. Wolves are ninth in net rating. Um, you know, so not all is, I'm not saying the sky is falling. What I am saying is this. I think they get a certain number of games this season to see how far this lineup can take them. And after that, they're going to have to make some adjustments if things still aren't going well. And I've got kind of a thought. I think we need to put them on the Lakers plan right now. And to clarify by the Lakers plan, I don't mean celebrate after you finally win your first game of the year the other night. I mean, the Lakers have said 
they're going to give this 20 games. They're going to see if at the 20-game mark of the season they need to go and do something else via trade, via something else. So I think the Wolves should be on that trajectory as well. I don't know if a trade is necessarily it, but I think maybe starting lineup maneuvers, things like that, those could be in play if things don't get better by 20 games. I would take a good, hard look at D'Angelo Russell if I was then make an honest assessment of how he fits into everything you're trying to do. He is the only person in the starting lineup that you don't really have much of a long-term commitment to. Remember, he is on an expiring contract at the end of this season. You would presume Anthony Edwards is going to be here for a very long time. You would assume Jaden McDaniels is here in the, for the very long time. They'll sign second contracts at some point. Towns and Gobert are signed to long-term contracts. D'Angelo Russell is the only one who doesn't fit into the long-term plan. So at some point, you have to decide, is he fitting in this year? And if he's not, I think you either have to look at a trade or you have to look at, does he, does he, does he come off the bench in a certain way better than he is right now? Does someone like Jalen Noel slide into the starting lineup? Do you go with a lineup where Anthony Edwards and Jalen Noel are doing a lot of the primary ball handling, especially in fourth quarter situations? Does that free up your offense a little bit to not be so uh, so hero ball oriented? I don't know. Does that make it worse for Ant with the hero ball tendencies? I don't know. What I do know is this. I think it's at a certain point you're going to have to look at the lineup and see, is this the, the lineup you want to start with? Or more importantly, is this the lineup you want to close with? Do you need a little bit more in there with guys that can get to the basket, that can get separation, that aren't just looking into these pick-and-roll situations and things like that? I think D'Lo's been okay this year. I'm not saying this is all his fault. I am saying if you look at the five pieces, he's the one that seems to be the most um, changeable, I guess is how I would put it, and I would take a good hard look at it. So let's see how this goes for the next 10 or 15 games beyond this. they got Phoenix tonight. The schedule does get tougher, at least on paper, in this next handful of games. Let's see how they respond to that. If it doesn't look great after 20 games, then I think you have a large enough sample size to say, hey, you know what? Not not giving up on everything here, but we got to make some changes, got to make some tweaks, got to see if some other combination is going to be better than the one that's out there right now. So that's what I'll be watching for in the next 10 or 15 games as they try to get this all sorted out. And like I said, I think D'Lo is the one who has has the potential to move in some way, shape, or form. And uh, I think that might strengthen the team down the road and in the short term as well. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's do a film review of the Vikings' latest victory, 34-26 over the Cardinals on Sunday. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune joins me for that. Um, Andrew, interesting, after the Saints game in London where the Vikings escaped, you know, kind of probably could have had a bigger earlier lead if they had been better you know, cashing in opportunities into seven instead of three. Um, the big narrative, the week coming out of that was you got to get better in the red zone. And ever since then, Andrew, they've been awfully good in red zone offense, cashing in on those opportunities. I believe you said 11 for their last 12, all five of their trips in uh, into the red zone against the Cardinals resulted in touchdowns and not all of them in the same way, doing it a lot of different ways. So I thought maybe we could get into 
what they're doing well and what really even goes into good red zone offense, good red zone play, things of that nature. So maybe we can kind of start there. How you doing? I'm doing well. Not, not as well as Kevin O'Connell's red zone play calling. He, he can't get anything wrong right now. Um, I, I think it's pretty incredible the run they're on. It's, it's quite a heater. It's, it's 12 of the last 13 going back to the end of that Saints game when they did score on their final trip in there. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's an incredible run for them right now. And it speaks to the versatility of this offense, especially on Sunday when they can get that ground game going. I, I talked to KJ Osborne after the game in the locker room. And he said, this is when we're at our best, when we truly are balanced and we have something that we can build off of. And he mentioned that this offense is really suited to build off the running game. Um, when we can get that going, it really opens things up for the passing game. And I, I think they'd struggled with that early on in the year where they weren't really make, making teams fear Dalvin Cook, not opening the holes, um, not really committing to the run at certain points because they throw the ball like 60% of the time. Um, and then you come to this game where they obviously run wild, three rushing touchdowns by three different players. Um, it, it helps when Kirk Cousins gives you a 17-yard rushing yeah. touchdown on third down in the red zone, which you, you really will seldomly ever do. But um, the other four times were just – those are the kind of things that you can lean on in terms of um, when you get up to the goal line and you have a bunch of window dressing and all of a sudden Johnny Munt's wide open for his first ever touchdown in a regular season game. Um, when Alexander Madison's running over guys in the middle of the field to push through on a seven yard touchdown, uh, it kept Arizona guessing. And I think O'Connell did a really good job of, of keeping them on their toes on their heels, I should say, um, and, and kind of backpedaling toward, toward the end zone there. So the one that stood out to me though, was and the one that I'll break down on Tuesday morning on startribune.com is that seven yard touchdown run by Madison. Yeah. They do something really, um, really smart where obviously a ball is on a hash mark. You have a short side of the field. You have an open side of the field. They put Jefferson on the open side of the field where basically it's just him by himself. And they like cram everybody to the, to the short side that forces the Cardinals to say, okay, we need to put two guys basically ISO him, them over on Jefferson. That takes a guy out of the equation for the Vikings. Then on the short side, they run Thielen in motion on a fly sweep toward the away from Jefferson toward the short side. And it looks like they're going to do a little like sweep action where Herb Smith comes out to block. KJ Osborne comes out to block that draws three other Cardinals defenders the other way. So I just talked about how five Cardinals defenders just basically opened the sea for them in the middle of the field. And that left five on five for the offensive line to block and Alexander Madison truck through right up the middle on an inside zone. That's just smart play design. It's smart coaching. It's understanding that, Hey, the Cardinals strength might be the middle of that defense, but if we could just kind of pry them apart, we trust Alex to just run through everybody. And that's what he did. And, and it stood out to me that after the game, Kevin O'Connell said, I need to trust that we can pound guys up the middle there and, and run once we get into the red zone. And, and I think that could help kind of open things up for them in the red zone, but it can also help ground them when Kirk Cousins maybe doesn't have his best game uh, in the future, whenever that might happen. Um, so if, if Kevin O'Connell starts to trust that running game more, that's just going to help this offense be that much more unpredictable. Yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean, they had the three, <clears throat> the three rushing touchdowns inside the red zone, the one from cousins, which I get, we can talk about that a little bit too, because that's just unusual. But then you had another one from Dalvin cook. I think that was a short, that was a short, I don't know, second down play maybe. Um, and then the two, then the two throws were both, I believe third down plays, the one you referenced to Mont, and then the tough, 
throw and catch to KJ Osborne. So it's happening in a lot of different ways. And what's, you know, what's so difficult about scoring in the red zone, especially when you get, you know, down into the five, you think, okay, well now we're that close. It should be easy. Well, then you've got the boundary behind you. Like there's only so many places the defense has to respect. And if you can't run the ball, you're going to have a challenge there because you've got, you know, you've just, there's so there's only so much territory they have to defend. So if you, you do have to get a little bit tricky in those spots or, or create those favorable matchups, and it does seem like they are being able to do that right now. Yeah. And that's the toughest thing for every NFL offense is once you get down to those tight spaces, um, there's just less room to operate. Defenses do not need to worry about being getting beat deep. They can go ahead and press forward. And the Vikings are not built right now to be, a true like power football team. They're not the kind of team that's really going to line up multiple tight end sets and really beat you physically. Um, yet they were still able to do some of that. Um, they need the schematics. They need the, the Kevin O'Connell play calling, the, the motions, the pre-snap motions, using Jefferson as a decoy almost in some of those situations to help kind of draw the attention away from it. And they've got enough playmakers that they can do it. And, and when you focus on all the playmakers, it, the, the month one, they were so focused on Jefferson, so focused on Cook. There was a Jalen Rager motion around the back end. Uh, and then all, nobody covered Johnny Munt because who's afraid of Johnny Munt right. coming out to catch a touchdown pass? He literally never caught one in like 50-some regular season games in his career. Um, and, and so I think those are the things that they can play off of. And when you've got those stars at the skill positions – O'Connell's doing a really good job of understanding how defenses are going to approach them and then leveraging that attention. I think they used Rager on another one too, maybe on the cook touchdown run. Cause I feel like um, I think he was in the game again and they used some of the same motion they use. And it almost feels like they set that up earlier in the year where they did that little, you know, flip pass to Rager and he brought it in. It's like a team sees that on film and all of a sudden they're in their heads like, Oh, Rager's in the game. This is what they're going to do. Or this is something they could do. And it almost warps your mind a little bit, even if it's just happened once. Yeah, I can't remember. Was it the Philly game or Detroit game? I can't remember which one he scored on, but you're right. Because you set something like that up, you play off of it then. And you know, we talked, I think a couple of weeks ago, it might have been after that Detroit game, uh, when they started to kind of get their get going in the red zone. And that was when Kirk Cousins had the kind of option to like QB sneak it or, or hand it off. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you're giving the freedom to the quarterback. And you see that between the 20s too. This isn't just a red zone thing. But the freedom of the quarterback to decide, hey, I'm seeing something here. Coach might have thought we were going to get something else, but he also gave me the option to uh, adjust, audible out of it, change the play, uh, or at least do an RPO or something like that. And so that versatility, whether it's just run and pass or the ability of the quarterback to decide, hey, I see an opening, I'm going to take it. That's huge. It's really huge. And, And I think Kirk was just in general, a lot more improvisational in this game. And um, at the 17 yard touchdown yeah. was the, the best example of that. It was hilarious. After the game, he says, uh, usually the cavalry catches up quicker than that. It looked like he was just going to be content to get like six or seven yards yeah. and get out of bounds, get the first down. So I think it was like third and four from the 17. And then he kind of like got to the boundary around the 10 and saw like nobody's going, nobody's coming to get him. He just turned the corner. He's like, I guess I'm going to score this touchdown. It was just, it's got to be tough to be an Arizona Cardinals defensive lineman and rewatch that play today in their film room. I yes. cannot imagine that uh, environment of, of alpha males is very forgiving to getting outrun by a 33-year-old Kirk Cousins. It was Marcus Golden, and I think it might have been 
uh, one of their defensive tackles, just like dove as if they were really close to Kirk, but then they were like falling five yards behind him. Right. It was just this kind of it was kind of sad to watch for for Arizona's defense. But that's not going to happen very often for Kirk, obviously. And it speaks to how the Cardinals edge players are slow and but they're also aggressive in their pass rush. And, and the Vikings throughout the game played off of that, where um you just see Dalvin attacking the perimeters left and right. Um and, and uh, the, the third and one early in the game, I know this wasn't the red zone, but the third and one early in the game where they fake the fullback dive and kick yeah. it out to Cook. <clears throat> yeah. And he just takes off for 30 yards. I mean, that plays to just how jumpy this Cardinals defense was. And then they didn't have the speed to recover outside of guys in their secondary, like Buda Baker. Um, it was just a slow defensive line for Arizona and, and the Vikings took advantage of that. Which is interesting because a lot of their kind of a lot of the middle of their defense seems like it's built for speed, more or less. They kind of got a lot of those, you know, hybrid safety linebacker type of guys who should be able to run and and chase guys to a certain degree. Yeah, you're right. Um, And there was a certain place there where whether it's Isaiah Simmons, uh, their first round middle linebacker, Zayvon Collins, another first round middle linebacker. Buda Baker, uh, the standout safety, those guys are like hybrid linebacker safety types who are kind of built to uh, thrive in a passing kind of NFL where they can cover the tight ends or cover the shifty slot receivers. Um, they, they can also fly around to the ball, but we need to credit guys like Johnny Munt, KJ Osborne. There were a few runs in there where I saw KJ just body Isaiah Simmons and wall him off. And I'm looking at Isaiah Simmons like, you can't allow that to happen. You can't allow a Viking slot receiver to come up and just body you. But that that speaks to the will, the um, the effort that these guys are putting into the run blocking uh, under Kevin O'Connell. And KJ has kind of quietly become a pretty solid run blocker for them. And they're starting to use him now, kind of pulling him in to kind of wall off these safeties and linebackers. And he did that a few times on Sunday. And he maybe produced, well, it was one of the biggest, plays of the game one of the biggest catches of the game that play that was the last touchdown they had you know it was the <clears throat> you know it's third down it's not much of a window there when mm-hmm. when kirk fires i think it's like third and two from the five so again you got that problem of guys don't have to defend a whole lot of the field you can still run because you only got two for a first down but really like so the playbook is relatively open but the amount of field you have to work with is is not that much and it's, it's a tough throw like it, it's it's got the potential to get picked off if it's not thrown very accurately and with pace and um you know basically the only place that that osborne could catch it and really the timing of it basically the last possible second where he could get it with two feet inbounds but he does and that really proves to be you know should have been the uh should have really been the clincher if, if joseph had made the extra point maybe more on that in a minute but gave them that 34 26 lead right after the muffed punt, I think if I'm, if I'm remembering the sequence correctly yep. and you know, that, you know, that was a, a really turning point in the game. Yeah. And I think that speaks to Kirk just putting the ball up there. Cause you're right. That was third and three, uh, three yards away from the goal line there where, where KJ split out wide. He just kind of runs a speed out and you just got to put the ball in play and hope your guy goes up and gets it. And Kirk did that to Justin Jefferson on a huge play on third down earlier in the game where he made a contested grab over a Cardinals defensive back and KJ had to catch just a really tight window pass there for that go-ahead touchdown. Um, Kirk trusting his receivers and putting the ball up there is a huge talking point because he does not want to turn the ball over. He's always been very, very cautious with that. And I thought it was pointed that after the game, Kevin O'Connell said, specifically referring to the Jefferson catch, that we have to credit Kirk for, for pulling the trigger there and putting the ball up there. And I have to imagine that's a talking point often 
because you got Jefferson putting his hands up half the time saying, just throw me the ball, man. Just give me, give me an opportunity. And, and that's what Kirk did to KJ. And he doesn't always do that. You know, that's the frustration. And, and sometimes he tucks the ball. Sometimes he uh, checks it down and you saw him be aggressive in some of those moments where he needed to be. Uh, interesting too, in that, you know, when we're talking about the red zone and how they had success in this game, I mean, I think, I think they targeted Jefferson on one of the trips didn't work, but you know, if we're talking about all the touchdowns, it was the, the cousins scramble Madison and cook touchdown runs and then touchdown passes to Munt and um, KJ Osborne. It's not Thielen. It's not Jefferson. They weren't even really getting the bulk of even the, the touches they were, or even the targets, they were mostly decoys down there, but it does go to show that if you are willing to be creative, that, you know, those guys probably open up a certain amount of the field that wouldn't otherwise be open. Yeah, Jefferson can't be happy about not having a touchdown since what week one is it? I can't I remember, it's, but it's it's been a while. Yeah, I think he had two scores week one, and he hasn't had any since. Um, and, you know, but they targeted him. There was a second down in in the red zone there where um, it just happened to be the the Vikings went I think four or five wide, and the Cardinals are they're kind of a, um, a helter skelter is kind of the phrase I use because it's like chaotic. It's like you don't know when uh, Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator, is going to blitz. He's one of the most frequent blitzers in terms of defensive play callers. Uh, and they dialed up a zero blitz on this second down where Jefferson had a perfect situation. He had an out route, single coverage. And if Kirk could have just put the ball in a better spot, Jefferson's coming down with it. But Kirk has pressure in his face, an unblocked rusher from the zero blitz, kind of lobs it up and it goes over Jefferson's head. They're going to get opportunities, and sometimes they might have the protection um, there for Kirk to make that throw. They didn't have the protection always on Sunday, and no. I think that that affected some of that stuff to Jefferson. Yeah, you're right. Jefferson with the two touchdowns against Green Bay and then nothing since then. I think those are both in the first half, too, if I'm not mistaken. So he's it's been a while since he – maybe I'm wrong about that, but it's been a while since he's been in – the end zone. Um, he ran for one. Sorry, he ran for one in there too. So he's had, he's got the three touchdowns total, but just the no no receiving touchdowns since the uh, since the first game of the season. But getting plenty of targets. Otherwise, he does. Uh, Andrew, he does have uh, 71, uh, 71 targets, fifty two catches, seven hundred fifty two yards. So more than a hundred yards per game on average. He can't be too mad about the opportunity opportunities he's getting. No, he's not. He had to wait a little bit on Sunday, though. I think there was one point. At halftime, he only had two catches or something like that. Um, but if the Vikings are going to do it that way, where you know they, they play off defensive attention on him early and then go to him late, it seems to be a formula that's working pretty well for him. Indeed. Um, final thought for you, Andrew. The trade deadline is tomorrow. We've gotten into this plenty on Access Vikings, stuff like that. I don't think this is a candidate for a trade. I don't even know if this is a candidate for something new. I don't think they're going to try something different here, but the number of kicks that Greg Joseph has missed this season, whether it's been, you know, a couple of them been blocked now, including the one, um, what was at the end of the first half yesterday? Was that one partially blocked? Uh, yes. Yes. They rushed down there and it was like a 50 some odd yard. They've now missed right. five, five in a row, I think from beyond 50. I think all of his misses this year are 50 plus, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, yeah. And he's got an extra point thing too, which is weird. He, he's not as yeah. automatic as he should be. No, and he missed the key one the other day that would have given them a nine-point lead, made it a two-score game in the fourth quarter. It didn't end up, again, none of this has really ended up costing them, which is kind of interesting, but I'm just curious, like, how do you think internally they're looking at their kicking game and Matt Daniels saying he's going to have the best year of his career, and then all of a sudden it's like, eh, it's not as not as sure as I, I thought it was. I thought he was looking really good early on, and then it's it's been a little bit shaky since then. 
Yeah. And I'm actually not sure on those blocks who's at fault. Yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes the kicker line drives it into the line and it shouldn't have been blocked and it's actually the kicker's fault. Sometimes it's just obviously giving up pressure um, uh, to, to get that one blocked. I think that one before halftime that was blocked was kind of pressure right up the middle, which should never happen. So that, that seemed to be more on the protection side of things. And if that's the case, how much are you putting on Greg Joseph for missing these 50 yarders? Cause two of them have been blocked. Yeah. And so then I think three or four of them he's missed on his own volition. Um, and that's going to happen, right? He's never been the guy with this massive leg. He, he's a career long 56 yarder that he only hit this year. Um, so he's always been more of the, you know, accuracy kind of guy. You're going to trust him inside 50 yards. When you have a really good red zone offense, you don't kick a lot of those. No, so his, his chances have been from pretty far out. So I think they're going to be patient with him. If I had to guess, I don't know that for sure. Um, but with the way that they've talked about him internally, with the way that he has shown up in other moments for them, it seems to be the Cardinals are a bugaboo for some reason. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Chris, that's right. Cause he missed Chris. that, uh, missed that kick last year too. Well, um, but other than that, I think he's been pretty solid for, for them. Um, if, if your misses are from beyond 50 yards, Kevin O'Connell's talked about how we can do things, you know, differently to not put him in those situations. So yeah. I think their confidence in him from deep, uh, is certainly not as strong as it was entering the season, but that doesn't mean that they don't believe in him, you know, uh, from, from inside that 50 yard mark. And like I said, Vikings still got the last laugh. Patrick Peterson got to do his mocking of Kyler Murray, the uh, the video game celebration, the Baby Yoda celebration. That was interesting. It was a very it was, it. it was a contentious game to a certain degree, especially Pat Pete. Um, not happy with the way things went down in, in Arizona. But you know what? When you're winning, it all works out, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and uh, I, I thought about this, too. Like, why did he wait until the second game to kind of do it? Because he went back to Arizona last year. Yes. And it was not as contentious, or at least he wasn't as outspoken. Um, he seems to have a lot more confidence in this team than he did yeah. last year's team, at least the way he was talking. And boy, does he look like a, a new player. I mean, I know in the man-to-man stuff last year, he was pretty decent, but he is changing a completely different system and becoming a zone corner and doing very well, which I did not see coming at, at his age and, and having to make that switch. It's no small thing. So that's huge. That's huge for the Vikings. Could be a story for another time, another film review. For now, we'll let you go, Andrew, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Now, Andrew and I joked a little bit about should they go after a kicker at the trade deadline? Probably not going to happen, although I think the, the Joseph misses are a little bit of a concern, especially the inconsistency on extra points, even if you're willing to give him a pass on those long field goals and some of those field goal blocks. What I would say, though, is this. With Dalvin Tomlinson and Irv Smith Jr., and week-to-week injuries, as described by uh, by head coach Kevin O'Connell the other day, um, do you need to go out and add some depth, specifically probably tight end? Because right now you've just got Irv Smith and really Johnny Munt, who have been getting a lot of those snaps. Do you need someone else who can come in there and play, especially with Smith's history of injury? Do you need to get a little bit more depth there? That was a big concern going into this season. I think tight end was even an area they could have bolstered, even if Irv Smith Jr. was healthy. Is there a move to be made before 3 p.m. today, or are they just going to stay where they are and see how the rest of the season goes? I think they, I think they have a little bit of flexibility. Tight end shouldn't be something that costs a whole lot in terms of picks, in terms of cap space. You've heard Ben Gessling talk before about maneuvers they could make to free up some cap space, including uh, some stuff they could do with Brian O'Neill's contract that would pretty easily free up a few million dollars. So. We'll see if they do go ahead and do any of that before the trade deadline today. I think it would behoove them. I think the fact that they're 6-1 and and have such a commanding lead in the division 
only makes that likelihood more than less. And you don't want to, you just want to stay here and assume everything else is going to be fine. I think you do, you might have to go out and get an additional body or two at the deadline today. Let's finish up quick with the cooler before I lose my voice completely. Sorry, I don't know what's going on today. I've got a little bit of a, uh, a lost voice situation going on. Probably too much talking. Probably that's that's a that's a good lesson for me. Got to talk a little bit less. But let's finish up with the cooler. The wild coming home after a three one and one road trip. Kind of got things solidified. Funny. Mark Andre Fleury, uh, much maligned at the start of the season, ends up being one of the NHL's three stars of the week. Posted a huge week. Goals against average below two. Got that sorted out, at least in the short term. Now we'll see if they can overcome some of these injuries they've had. Like I said, uh, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, um, uh, Jordan Greenway. Those are three very important players on this team. We'll see if they are able to suit up in tonight's home game. Um, but, you know, long story short at the Wild, that feels like they got that, got whatever it was that was missing at the start of year. It feels like that is back. And I think Bill Guerin's challenge to them now is can they bring it back to their home ice? Can they not try to get so fancy? Can they play a simple game? I think that's a good message from the GM, and we'll see if they can carry it forward into tonight's game. That will do it for me here today. Thank you so much for joining me. Back at it again on Wednesday.